This is the big pond. It's the 11th century in Ethiopia, and Kardi, a goat herder, is walking through the province of Kaffa with his herd. One day, he notices that his goats are acting sort of strange, jumping around all excited. He sees that they're eating these little red berries, and intrigued, he tries some for himself. He too suddenly feels way more energetic. Excited about this magical fruit, he brings it to a monk. But the monk disregards the berries and throws them into the fire. But as the berries burn, this incredible aroma draws both of them back in. One way or another, they have the idea of grinding these beans and mixing them with hot water. And coffee is born. At least, that's the most common version of the story. How, when, and where coffee was born is actually a contested issue. Many countries claim to have discovered coffee. But what's undeniable is that coffee has since spread across the globe and has gotten a lot of us hooked, no matter how we like it best. Plain black coffee. Just a tiny bit of Demerara sugar. Costa Rican fair trade. A lot of sugar and cream. Over the course of centuries, coffee has taken on an important role, both in many caffeine addicts day to day, but also in the cultures of many countries and communities. Today, we're going to take a look at the coffee culture in the United States and in Germany, and finally, take it back to where it all began, Ethiopia. To start the story, I wanted to find out what even makes up a good cup of coffee. So I talked with Sarah Walker, the owner of Vent Coffee Roasters in Baltimore, Maryland. Our conversation echoes through her newly opened coffee shop, a converted warehouse space with a hipster garage-type feeling, concrete floors, big floor-to-ceiling windows, and wooden tables. The roast to start, um, my personal preference is nothing too dark. Um, I really like a lot of just medium coffees and just figuring out your profile. Because like every seed, so um, we call it beans, I don't know why, because it's actually a pit to a cherry that grows on a tree. Every country and every region in that country, even from one side of the mountain to the other side of the mountain, can have... Uh, different flavor characteristics because um, on this side of the mountain it might get more sun than this side and the other plants and trees that are around it they could have the coffee trees can absorb different things you know from that Um, that being said I think that in the roasting process when you go too long in a roast you kill those individual characteristics um, because then you taste more just about the roast than you do Um, those characteristics. A natural process Ethiopian can taste like blueberries. Um, We have a Kenya right now that tastes like heirloom tomatoes, and that sounds so weird to people, but it is... Kenyas are... If I had to put a favorite country that coffee comes from, Kenya would be it. Um, And then it's just how you brew it. Um, Not every coffee is meant for every brew method. Um, There's a little bit of science that goes into it as far as ratios. But apart from offering high-quality coffee in the area, Sarah is trying to use coffee to create connections between people, because in the end... Coffee is just coffee. (laughs) It's funny, because it's like there's these both sides, right, that kind of just... I think that they do come together. Like, coffee is a beverage to be enjoyed with community, with other people. 
just a part of your day, a part of your life. Like it's just, so it doesn't, it also doesn't need to be that for everyone, you know, like coffee is just, it's coffee. It's a beverage that people can come around. And I think it's, that can't be forgotten. Even if you can geek out on all the different equipment or brew methods or whatever, like it's still this foundation for a community and conversation. But coffee as something to come around is not necessarily always the way that many people here consume coffee. This is David, a student in Berlin. He did an exchange at the University of Minnesota last year, and one thing in particular stood out to him about the coffee shops there. So you basically always get a to-go cup, so you can just kind of leave if you want. Whereas here, um, you get like a porcelain china cup, so like... If you suddenly want to leave, you kind of can't because you have to like finish your cappuccino, whatever it is first. Um, and I guess like part of that is about sustainability, which is obviously like great. Um, but another part is just kind of like it forces you to be maybe like more mindful, a little bit slower, which I guess is a good thing because I mean, um, I don't think coffee should just only be about the stimulation aspect. I mean, I'm sure a lot like I enjoy that as well. But like, I mean, I think cafes can offer a good chance to just kind of step back a little bit as well. So while this is not necessarily true for all coffee shops, it is something that I've noticed as well. In general, with the exception of Starbucks, in Germany your coffee will be served in a mug unless you specifically ask for it to go. In the U.S., more often than not, your drink will be served in a paper or plastic cup unless you specifically ask for a mug. But apart from how it's consumed, David also noticed a difference in why it's consumed. I do think that in the U.S., um, the kind of like performance enhancing quote-unquote aspect of coffee is um, uh, maybe more important or uh, more emphasized just in the sense that especially at um, colleges like my, my second time I was abroad in the U.S. for a year at the um, at the University of Minnesota and um, I definitely noticed that there um, a lot of people were drinking coffee not because they liked it or even because they were like hey I just need my morning coffee but like explicitly to like I need to pay better attention in class or I need to like study for my final. Whereas I feel like in Germany, um, for most people that do drink coffee, it seems more of an enjoyment thing. There's definitely also a um, certain extent of the whole, I need to be more alert, but I do think it's more way more pronounced in the U.S. To learn more about Kaffeekultur, or coffee culture in Germany, I spoke with a local expert here in Berlin. My name is Jochen Hinze. I'm the owner, founder and owner of Jo Café Restaurant Maschinen, which is a um, shop roastery. We have a coffee roaster in our shop and we serve coffee as well and we sell coffee in beans and ground to private customers mainly and also to um, other cafes and, and so on. Although he's a mechanical engineer by trade, Jochen has always had a special connection to coffee. I remember very well my grandma sitting in her room in our house um, in the afternoon and drinking a cup of coffee. And uh, this coffee smelled, uh, had a dis- distinctive or a certain smell and um, a certain aroma. And I was remembering this aroma when I started to roast Kenyan coffee eight or nine years ago. So imagine that nine years ago I was able to remember a moment in my life which was 30 or 40 years earlier. So I had the the fascination of coffee uh, when I was uh, smelling the the coffee in my grandma's room. Um, I started to drink coffee about within the age of 
13 or 14, I, I suppose. Owning a coffee shop for me is a big satisfaction as with our work we care about people, so we care for them, we allow them to have a moment of relax. We also give them the chance to meet each other. That's actually what we are realizing with our customers um, who join us every day. We have so many people working or living in the same neighborhood which do not knew each other before and they met here and they started um, talking and then uh, later on they, they changed their phone numbers and later on they made an appointment to, to come here to drink coffee. So this is something about people, people bringing people together um, and this is very satisfying for me to see this. Jochen, just like Sarah, focuses on high quality roasts, something that has become more sought after here in Germany in the past few decades. But this isn't the typical coffee culture that I know and love. Instead, one of the nicest things about a weekend afternoon in Germany, in my opinion, is Kaffee und Kuchen, or coffee and cake. That's quite interesting. We call it also Konditorengehen. So a Konditorei is a cake shop, so which is specialized in producing cakes. And to, to visit a Konditorei is uh, yeah, something you do on the weekend. On Saturdays or Sundays you, in, the, in the afternoon, you go to a Konditorei and eat a piece of cake and drink a cup of coffee. And this is German coffee culture at its best, at former times at least. Nowadays, in, let's say since the last 15 years, um, coffee culture in Germany changed quite a bit. Jochen really fell in love with coffee in Italy, but was disappointed to find that in the mid-80s, espresso culture was hard to come by in Germany, even though only the Alps separate the two countries. We had to wait until Starbucks came from the uh, from the U.S. Uh, to make their own shops in Germany to introduce a certain espresso culture. As I call it always a Starbucks cessation, um, and Starbucks cessation um, helped small coffee shops like mine a lot uh, because they created some different coffee culture. It is a culture of drinking coffee outside instead of your home, uh, of drinking espresso and mixed drinks with milk like cappuccino, latte and so on, instead of drip coffee like German grandmas were used to do. For a long time, coffee culture in Germany was not centered around the quality of the coffee, but rather around the act of drinking it together. Although it's not as typical today as it used to be, Kaffee und Kuchen is still a landmark of German culture. Families and friends slicing some time out of their afternoons to share conversation over homemade cakes and a cup of coffee. So if coffee has adopted such a big role in societies on both sides of the pond, I asked myself what it must be like in Ethiopia, where coffee has presumably been consumed the longest. To find out, I went to Bejte, Ethiopia a bustling little restaurant in my neighborhood in Berlin, and spoke with Wubit. My name is Wubit. Every night, a coffee ceremony is performed here among diverse Ethiopia paraphernalia for a widespread customer base ranging from the Ethiopians at the counter to the German ladies in the corner discussing their grandchildren. At 8 p.m., a woman in traditional Ethiopian dress starts a coal fire in a little pot on the floor. She places frankincense sap in the hot embers. We explain the steps involved in the coffee ceremony as the beans are roasted in a small metal pan, which you can hear in the background amongst the lively chatter of the guests. So now she started the coffee ceremony. 
Uh, as a ceremony, we have um, the pregnancy. In German, it's called this Weihrauch. Uh, or in English, frankincense. And then she's roasting the coffee, the coffee bean. And they are green, but she's going to roast it. And then when it's a little bit brown or dark brown, so it's going to be finished. So that she takes uh, that away. And she goes to the people around. And she makes them to smell, because that is a part of the ceremony or the culture. By now, the room had filled with smoke and the smell of coffee. Ubit also showed me the traditional wooden mortar and pestle used to grind the coffee. And that is how we make it powder. We put the coffee here and we make it like that. And it's really good. Uh, when you take the um, grinding machine, it gets really powdered, very powder. Uh, but with this, you have a little bit, it's not really fully grinded. So when you cook the coffee, it has a taste. The coarsely ground coffee is then brewed in a jirina, a black clay coffee pot with a round bottom and a narrow spout. And this, how the way how she cook it is a little bit different because we use a coal, and then there it will be cooked very slowly, and then when it is boiled, then she takes out, she takes down, and then she keep it for. A minute, like five minutes, and then it will start the, I don't know how to call it, the coffee will go down, and then the, the, the coffee bean or the powder is going to be down, and then the, 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 the coffee, the, the right one, it will come up. After 45 minutes, the first round of coffee was poured into little cups. The first round, and that's called um, abul. And then it comes the second round, and the second round is thus on this the bottle, we put a little bit more water. So the second round is called tona. So we'll take this uh, a little stronger coffee, and then the last one is baraka. And then this is really not really strong, yeah, and it's like uh, the last one to say goodbye and so on. And it's really good. Strong, but not bitter at all. But apart from coffee being such a big part of the day-to-day of many Ethiopian households, the quality of the coffee speaks for itself. I actually recommend to drink my coffee, Ethiopian coffee. I don't know why. I try sometimes to go by Ethiopian. I try to choose also because nowadays they have many uh, cafeterias with Ethiopian coffee. Um, but I take also normal yeah, but when it's Ethiopian coffee, I drink a black coffee outside. But if it is not Ethiopian, I don't drink coffee. I take latte or cappuccino and so. <laughs> but you can have beans from the most exotic places in the world, with aromas like banana and pineapple or even lime. You can prepare it with elaborate ceremonies, with an espresso machine or with your IKEA French press. You can add sugar, milk, or leave it black. Because at the end of the day, the best cup of coffee is the coffee shared with good company. From Berlin, this is Nina Bullman for The Big Pond. Wunderbar together. You've been listening to The Big Pond, a series of dialogues between Germans and Americans, coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute.